0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, Supex is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Hampus Jacobson. He's an entrepreneur and angel investor. Hampus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, you and I connected a while ago, kind of online, and uh, you know I love talking to... Uh, People that have been been through it and have tons of experience in the in this industry and and the, and the fact that you're in Sweden and I'm in North America is I, I love talking to people kind of in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, so do I. Yeah, it's great. So I'm, I'm curious. Then maybe let's start off with kind of uh, where you grew up.
1: So I grew up. I grew up in Sweden, okay. um, and I think that I what what's very what I think is more telling about my background is like I grew up in an academical family both of my parents are uh, like um, university professors in, in maths and science and um, I have three older brothers that are like uh, 8, 9 and 11 years older than I am okay. so in a sense I kind of grew up with like five parents you know like uh, in a weird way and I think that shaped me massively who I am in so many ways um, I, I think that it, it, I think I grew up in an environment where like I could I could do anything I wanted because my brothers are always like, always paved the way. But at the same time, I grew up with knowing that I was quote unquote, not good at anything, but loved anyway, uh, which I think is an amazing background to become an entrepreneur. Because like, you know, if you have three older siblings, they're much better at absolutely everything than you are. Sure, because you're uh, the youngest, right? Yeah, exactly. And like with three and that age difference. But at the same time, I think the amazing thing is like, I always felt like even though I looked at whatever result I did is always, I always felt like it was was like it was okay. I mean, I was okay, which I think is a very interesting way to grow up.
0: Totally. So you what did you you kind of you went to post secondary like university, what did you end up kind of taking in university? And what was the reason you decided to do that in university?
1: So I, I did computer science and um, finished my, my master's in control theory and AI. And the reason was really this, that I was from, again, that background. It's like I was really, really fascinated about behavior. Okay. Um, like if I grew up as always trying to figure out what was in the heads of my, my five parents, like how do I get to sit at the table when they were playing <laughs> games? How do I get to you know just stay up an hour longer? Uh, whatever. And so I think a lot of times I, I had to just understand people And one of the things that frustrated me when I was in high school that like all literature about people like um, sociology and psychology were very kind of old-fashioned and kind of like observational. And I really wanted a way where I could like tinker and play and figure out like how people worked. And then I just felt like computer science and statistics feels like a good thing because you can like... I, you know, it was a time when people started like computer simulations of like 3D renderings and stuff. So it felt like, maybe we can like simulate people and have that as a way of thinking about how people work. And uh, I just figured out that I really, really loved it. Uh, so it was just a, a really weird reason that I wanted to understand people. So therefore I did computer science. Uh, but that's the truth.
0: Sure. No, I, I always find it fascinating, like how people choose to go into the fields that they go into, especially kind of the computer science, because you, like it, everybody kind of gives a somewhat of a different answer. And I always kind of find it fascinating. So you graduate university. What did you end up doing post-university?
1: I actually started, I uh, actually sort of took two things there. During university, I had this thought that I really wanted to work abroad. Okay. and i i was um i think that I, I i always want to do things like and that's the thing also like I'm, now i'm getting back to the third time i'll try to avoid getting back to the fourth now but like growing up like the youngest kid it's like a, you know i always felt like you know when i said like i want to do this like i want to ride a whatever a motorbike my parents were like you can't do it like you're too young like you know <laughs> you can do, i knew i could do it too early but i was not yet I'm like i want to ski in this way you can't because like you're too young but i had three brothers that do, to do it right, so i think right, like right. when i started university i really felt i was kind of trigger happy to do stuff so I was like, I wanna work abroad. And I was just thinking like, how can I do that? So I just emailed other other like companies I really liked in other countries and said, Sweden has this mandatory uh internship system that we have to do an internship which is totally a lie okay um, i was gonna
0: ask you that <laughs>
1: so i have to do an internship and your company looks like exactly what my exam is gonna be about so can i do this and a lot of companies were like okay this kid is emailing It's been nice to him and i went through the interview and i like often like did really well in interviews And like yeah let's get you here and work so i spent all summers working at really really interesting companies That's and amazing. in completely it was really fun, but also I worked at completely overqualified stuff. Like I was, I was, I was really, really, really over, underqualified. Um, but what, again, I think with my background was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna figure it out. So I figured it out every summer and like learned so much that I was like, you know, it was amazing. And then like the last last summer, I worked at a company. It was an arts company in London. So this is before I graduated. And I re- it was a computer computer arts company. And this was back in like 1899. You know, the companies had sure. infinite amount of money. So a lot of companies were like, we want this cool interactive lobby, la, la, la. And this arts company was like, yeah, we'll build it. But they didn't really have a lot of programmers or actually like any. So I was there during the summer and build stuff. And it was like the best time of my life because, or, well, back then, because it was like somebody said like to a kid, you can build whatever you want. You can buy whatever computer equipment you want. That's and awesome. you were, that was incredible. So I felt I wanted. Do that. I want to continue doing that. So when I got home, I kind of pitched a couple of my best friends. Said, "Can we do that in a way?" And this is during university. And then just completely randomly, one of them was on a on a on a big big party. And one friend, remote friend acquaintance, uh, they end up talking. And once, and he said, like, "So my mom is a journalist doing a big science festival in Stockholm, the capital of Sweden, which is pretty far away from where I am." And uh, she's looking for people who can build an arts installation, like your super cool stuff. You do kind of those things, right? And this friend just picked up the phone and called me, like Hampus, uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's what we do. No problem. We'll build that." <laughs> I love that. I uh, yeah, it was completely crazy. And then you know they turned around and it's like, uh, so yeah, I mean, we have a budget of uh, like sixty k dollars, and mm-hmm. like sixty k dollars for an arts installation is massive. Sure. In arts, it's just infinite amount of money. So we were like, "Wow!" But then we realized if we're gonna Given that a salary or or something like that, we just have to tax all the money or like a lot of the money. But if we have a company, we can buy computer stuff. You know, again, we're going to remember that we're 20 years old sure. um, and save on the VAT because like you can deduct the VAT. So we realized, oh, well, let's start a company. But the problem is starting a company back in 2000 was that it actually needed um, the capital to start it. And we didn't have that capital. So we just called a couple of more friends that we'd worked with for a long time and was like, do you want to start a company with us? It's like, you know, you can do other stuff. It doesn't matter. We just like, you know, we have one company, mm-hmm. we invoice different things and then we'll, you know, take the money and pull them out in different directions. And they're like, yeah. And we lo- worked a lot of, together, trust each other. So six friends started a company and there were three different projects.
0: That's amazing. And the first
1: year we did those three different conferences separately. And then we graduated pretty much one by one during that year. And then at the end of that year, suddenly, uh, a, yeah, a friend call us and then it just turned into big business, which is another story.
0: Okay, so I, I, I'm curious to hear this this story, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the weird story that was like, we had worked during our university studies, we had worked at one of the first mobile gaming companies, Okay. and seeing that mobile gaming was really a disaster. And I mean, this is like, you know, this is back in like, you know, 98, 99. So sure. mobile games, black and white screens, Horrible experience. Yep. Um, and we had seen how mobile phone manufacturers just tried to get smaller and smaller and smaller screens and smaller and smaller phones. Yep. Um, so we just felt it's completely dead. And then one of our friends that you know went to university with us or even earlier, like to high school with us, he started working at Sony. And Sony was building phones and they just merged with so with Ericsson, who was right. Uh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, back in uh, 0102. So he called us up and said, like so we're building a phone. And it has a color screen. And we've never done a color screen before because Sony wants kind of PlayStation experience. And, sure. you know, the Ericsson is, guys are building it. And the Ericsson guys, pretty much like the the hardware, the technology is kind of like a microwave oven quality because that's what, you know, phones were. But sure. the experience need to buy PlayStation quality, which is like kind of a gap. <laughs> um, so he said, you 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 have done kind of those magical stuff. Can you help us? And like our knee response was like, hey, this is never gonna work. You know, mobile phones are just dead. It's completely irrelevant. Who cares about that? And he's like, (laughs) can you make it? Can you do it? And we're like, of course we can do it. But it's like, who wanna work in mobile? It's a dead industry. And he's like, come on guys. I mean, you're gonna save me. And we're like, sure, we'll work with you. And you know, we'd only worked with like arts projects and a couple of things. So first time we came into this company or they came to us, like we met, you know, proper software engineer organization, uh, really, really smart. And we were like, surprised. These, "These, yeah, these guys seem to be fun to work for. Um, so they came in and said, like, you're going to this as a consultancy project. And one of the things we'd seen, uh, like, especially when I worked at arts companies, they were saying, we should have started a product company. Like we should have had a product we could license because we could have owned more things and build better stuff. So we just turned around and said, like, no, this is actually a software licensing thing. And they were like, oh, cool. Uh, what's the license? Like, what's the license fee? And we were like, oh my God, that's like, we don't even know where to start. So we were like, the biggest number we'd ever heard again as yeah. the kids we were, 60, $60K. Dollars. Like, that's, you know, the arts, arts installation. So we're just like, $60K. Dollars. <laughs> and this, and the Sony Ericsson manager turned around and was like, per phone? And we were like, yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> Trying to get the voice down, I was like, yeah, absolutely, per phone. That's exactly the model. And then he said, like, and then you have NRE on top. And we're like, NRE? Like, you know, no. <laughs> And he just said, standard rates? And we were like, yeah, standard rates. That's like, we just wrote standard rates. And he was like, totally cool. I'm going to draft you um, like, a doc, like an agreement and get back to you. Thanks a lot. This is amazing. And he walked out. and We just went to Wikipedia. And like, NRE, non-refundable engineering. Oh, we get paid per hour, too. So that's how it started. And then we started working with them and had a really great time. Hired a lot of our best friends that we knew that were smart from university and other places. Grew the team completely organic. Like, we had no funding like you know we were university students sure um then after like two years or like yeah two years we was like especially me um again wanting to live in the future i was really really tired of the swedish consensus mentality of some of these meetings so i was like i really want to look for somebody who's like more aggressive on like bold and want to do cooler stuff so through a contact we got in contact with samsung and samsung is like I think Samsung is, I know it's not the Korean word for aggressive, but it could have been. Uh, I mean, they're just like the definition of, of uh, bold and, and aggressive. Sure. Started working with them in Korea, and It was just amazing. We started building a Korean office, sent plenty of our f- friends to Korea and build an office there. And then uh, after a year or two, uh, through another thing, I started working with Motorola and Motorola became a customer. Half a year later, Nokia became a customer. And like, you know, this is not intended. Like we had no clue. And this time we were kind of 45 people and we were like 24 and it was like me and another co-founder were kind of pretty much like co ceoing stuff and like dying of just being a manager. We hated it in so many ways because we were like, you know, we wanted to like do stuff and learn and not like manage people and just sit in meetings all day and write emails and just worry about other people. Um, And then like uh, we were, uh, we were like we got a, were supposed to give him some prize for some kind of company development, and there was a woman came in who was going to interview about stuff, and she had so many questions. Like, I mean, we were like, "Whoa, this prize must be the worst price, to, like the hardest price to get," because like her questions were so detailed, like really, really detailed about legal stuff. And we're like, "Oh my god, she's so serious, meticulous." <laughs> Answered everything, and we we're like, "It's not a big prize, but I mean, whatever." It's like we were just like, "Why not answer it?" It's like, you know, she's not a spy. Um, and after all of those questions, she was like, you know, I'm in the jury for this thing. And we were like, yeah, why are we other sitting here? And she said, because I would really, really want to work with you guys. Like, my dream would be to work here. And like, everything you're saying is so exciting. I'd love to kind of, you know, work here as operations. And this is like a, wor- a woman who had been a CEO of another really big tech company wow. here. Wow. And we were like, are you kidding us? And like, didn't your last company sell to Zycorp or Nuance or something? And she was like, yeah, um, but this is super exciting. And we were like, do you want to become our CEO? <laughs> and she was like, "Can I become the CEO?" She said, and we were like, yeah, we'd love to not be managers." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I'd love to be the CEO." And then, like, she signed a month later, and we were like, "Oh, finally, we're not the CEO. This is awesome." And then, uh, a couple of like two years in, Sam, um, Google called from nowhere to me and was like, "We want you to design. We're design your phone. We want you to be here and design do the, do the user interface design, like the graphics for for Android." Sure. And I was like, no, I mean, we do software licensing. We have designers, but I mean, we spend them to make sure that projects are super successful because we're royalty-based. We get paid per phone shipped. So we want the software to be great, but of course we want the experience to be great because that's how the volume gets up and that's how we get money. And Andy Rubin, uh, who was the person running the Android project and and a super, super powerful person, he was like... Uh, you don't hear me. I'm Google. I want you to come. Like, I mean, I've never heard this. People saying no before. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I can recommend you five other companies. I gave him amazing recommendations. He pretty much hung up. And I was like, okay, whatever. He called me the day after. I was like, hey, my name is Andrew Rubin. I was like, yeah, I remember you. He's like, yeah, then you remember what I want. Yeah. yeah, you wanted me to design Android. He was like, yeah. Yeah, you know my answer. And he was like, just hung up. Third day, called me. <laughs> I'm Andrew Rubin. I was like, okay, hey, let's talk about this. Like, what, like, how, like, you can't just call me every day. And he's like, no, I agree. So, how do you want to do with Hampus? Do you want to be a Mountain View on Monday? And I was like the thing is like you know we have to like pull people have an important project he was like we're google we print money for a business how much money do you want to get paid if we're going to come and I was like okay Andy I have got I've got a proposal we're going to be there for two weeks with three people we do it as a design sketch we decide like we we work with you after two weeks we decide if we want to continue or quit. you pay everything allowances flights rental cars everything and like a really hefty amounts per per hour he was like what's the hefty amount I was like $600 per hour deal I was like Deal, like deal. <laughs> okay, see you on Monday then. Uh, through the Mountain View. This is back in uh, 07. Uh, ended up being staying there for many months. Uh, like the, one of the most fun projects I've ever worked with, and ran that. It was really, really amazing. Did all the graphic design for Android. Uh, worked inside Google. Was like you know amazed and shocked by Google, and as so many other ways. People that I worked there, of course. Um, and then got back. And when I got back, I really felt that I'd seen the future of mobile phones, realized that Google is gonna change the way phones are gonna be built. Not necessarily, you know, they're gonna change them from beneath and Apple is trying to change them from above. Like Apple decides how it's gonna look and Google makes other people, so that makes it possible for other people to build iPhones back sure. then. So looking at that, I realized everything is just gonna go, you know, all of our old business is gonna go, you know, haywire. Cause all of our old business is dependent on the old industry. So, really came in and realized I became like the Cassandra. I walked around the office saying, Oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And people are like, What's wrong with you? And it's like, No, but realize this can happen. So then I sat down with the CEO and she was like, So, what do you want to do about it? And it's like, I just want to move to another building with a couple of of people and just try to build the thing that will kill us. Like, I want to try to kill us. Okay. And she was like, Yeah, you go ahead. And it's like, You know, as long as you don't kill us, just tell me, give me a heads up. (laughs) Sure. I moved to another building, uh, handpicked a couple of people, got a couple of actually like students too. And started building a new way we we're going to build products and market ourselves. And one of the really interesting innovations that came out of it were that we created a YouTube channel where we kind of sketched how the future is going to look. And we kind of faked it uh, by doing a lot of different tricks, like visual tricks. And then what we did is what we like, did all these visual tricks, but then we filmed them as if we had built them. So the point was that when you look at the video, you get this suspension of disbelief. You really think that we build it. And that means that during those minutes, you're sitting there like, oh my God, they can build this. And even if you like intellectually in the end, understand, oh, I guess it's fake. During the movie, you actually lived in the future for two minutes, which means that afterwards you have completely changed your mind. And That's that awesome. became like, an. it was really awesome. And it also became crazy enough, one of our absolutely best of ways of getting new customers. People had seen it, they wanted something similar. They came in from all directions and we just grew and grew and grew. And then suddenly one day, another company called, Blackberry, and said, "Hey, uh, I run m and for Blackberry. I'd love you to be Blackberry. Can you? We can acquire you." And I was like, "I don't think you want to acquire us. We're 180 people. You know, we like we got 40 people in Korea. We got like 10 people in San Francisco. Five in Chicago. You know, 10 doing automotive. Like we're like we're in Malmo, Sweden. Uh, the rest of us." And he was like, "I want to acquire you. Listen to me. Can you be in Waterloo on Monday?" <laughs> and I was first of all, I was like, "Waterloo," and he heard my hesitation, I guess, and he was like, "Waterloo, Canada." And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I was like, for me, Waterloo is in Belgium. Sure, okay, Uh, fair, okay. So I was like, okay, okay, sorry. Uh, Yeah, sure. Like, what are we going to do there? You're going to meet our CEO, Michael Azuridis. Okay, cool. So we flew there, me and a co-founder, and we really felt like we didn't want to tell the company that we were going to fly to somebody who wanted to acquire us. But first of all, we think it's never going to happen.
0: Sure.
1: And secondly, if, like, you know, even the remotely chance, remote chance, then, I mean, everybody is going to be in distress till we've figured out. So, we just called in sick on Sunday and just flew there and met them. And it, we started out by uh, Don Lindsay, who was the guy who designed OS X for, for uh, Steve Jobs for sure. Apple, sure. met us at the airport. I was like, hey, I'm Don Lindsay. And we're like, Don Lindsay, I've heard that name before. Talked with <laughs> him in the car and we're like, really had a good time, like, super nice guy. Then met the next guy, the person who ran software for Blackberry, like, super amazing person. And then the third person, super amazing. We're like, all these people are like, some of this, and you know, we had I had been at, like, worked with, like Google and met all the people at Apple and Samsung and all these guys. And I would say like BlackBerry and Google and Samsung and and uh, um, and uh, BlackBerry, Google, Apple and Samsung were for the most impressive companies I've ever met. Um, I was just so impressed by by BlackBerry from the inside. And we came into this big conference room and Michael is, he's a really big guy. He's like, hey, really nice to meet you. And he says, um, so I want to build, my team is saying they want to acquire you, but I want to use Adobe to build our next user interface platform and everything. And then, like, you know, I immediately understood this is never going to happen. Like, because Adobe was one of those unrealistic things that people tried, but, you know, Adobe sold them on PR. So I was like, this is never going to work. So I just, like, me and my co founders, like, okay, whatever. So we just realized, okay, let's teach these guys something at least. So that when we leave, we at least leave, leave with, like, you know, they're like, we taught them something. So it's sure. not worthless if we flew to Canada. So we're standing there going into massive assault, just like, you know, hammering his suggestions and like fighting with like, and Michael is not only is it big in intimidating, he's one of the most smartest people I've ever met. Sure, It was like amazing going into details, turning things around and arguing, arguing and arguing with us for 25 minutes. You know, and like the whole management team is there. <laughs> and at the end of it, we're like, we're, you know, this is what we, me and my co-friend had done for so many other people. For us, it was just every day, like you do, you fight with managers about stupid tech choices. Sure, yep. So we yeah. just fought and fought. And after 20 minutes, he just stops. And he says, um, can you be in my office? It's just next door. And we're like, yeah, we're here till, you know, five. Then our flight, leave, we need to look for the airplanes. Like, sure. He was like, yeah. We walked into his huge office. He looked at like Waterloo University, uh, the nanotech department. He was like, I funded that actually. It's took a lot of money, but I really believe in nanotech. And he talked about Waterloo University. We were standing like, whoa, it's super cool. And he turns around to us and says, I'm so happy you did that show from a management team. They constantly talk about Adobe. I think it's the most stupid thing I ever heard. Of course it needs to be done the way you do it. I really just wanted to hear them, hear all the arguments. Can you please wear BlackBerry badges in six weeks? And we just said like, um, what? <laughs> uh it's like so you know yeah sure like you know like how how do you want what do you want to like pay and whatever he was like what's your turnover and we're like our turnover is like uh it's like 35 uh, so he said like what's your next year turnover and we're like it's like 35 million dollars and i was like optimistic of course sure and he was like okay let's let's pay four times that like 150 million dollars is that fair he was like, I don't know. Like, I mean, you put it in writing. And it's like, but but it sounds fair for you. Like, if I send a paper hundred fifty million hours, you're not gonna be pissed off. And we're like, no, no. I mean and he said, I know you own the company. So it's like, you know, it's not that I understand there's a lot of money, but I don't I, I don't wanna like underpay you. Sure, no problem. And uh, we flew home and when it landed we had like a paper from them saying we'd like to acquire a TAT for hundred and fifty million dollars. And six amazing. weeks later, we were TAT. We were a BlackBerry.
0: That's amazing. So do you stayed in Sweden then or did you have to move to Canada? No, actually,
1: originally, wanted me to move to Canada. Um, I really didn't. I had just, I mean, I had, um, we, back then, we had, um, we had, I had one kid. And I was about to get, uh, actually, two more. I didn't know that back then, but I was about to get twins. Um, so I was very, very reluctant. I was like, mm, I really don't want to leave for Canada, but I ended up like uh, being in Canada quite a lot, but uh, but uh, staying in Malmo. And the thing is, like, I ran M and A for EMEA for them for for Europe for them. So it actually kind of made a very lot of sense for me to be here. Uh, and in the beginning, I ran like the uh, or not ran, but supported the, like the integration of the company into BlackBerry. So it made also a lot of sense for me to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the nice thing about running M and A for them was that I get i got to spend two years because i stayed two years um to be on the other side i got to be like i felt like i had been running around in the jungle trying to do innovation and trying to figure out how the world worked and like you know climb pretty tall ladders i've been at a lot of management meetings and like helped a lot of these big manufacturers but if you're at A, you're steadily standing in this completely unrealistic ivory tower looking down at the landscape as if it's like ponds um <laughs> And like, I had calls when like the CEO called me, Mike called me on a Sunday. I was like, do you have time to talk? It's like, uh, yes, of course. It's due. <laughs> like, what do you want to say? He was like, I thought about this. Um, I'd really love to own um, Adobe. I was like, do you want to buy Adobe? It's like, no, nah, maybe not Adobe. Premiere. Can you just buy Premiere of them? It's like, do you want to be Adobe and see if we can buy Premiere? Yeah. Can you do that? We'll talk Wednesday, campus. And he hung up the phone. I was like. Okay, interesting. Like, you know, you see the world from above. You suddenly, everything's an opportunity.
0: Sure.
1: And and especially, at, like, in my background, which, is, like, I've been, like, a tech crafts person in a sense, and, like, had been down in the dirt and build huts and then hire and hire houses. For me, it was an amazing experience being, just seeing everything from above and how it actually looked. Um, so that was an amazing experience. And then two years after that, like, when we after we started, then Mike Lazaridis got pushed out. And, like, the board wanted more of BlackBerry, Yada, 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 as, as I think the rest of the world knows now. And he was pushed out or some kind of like, you know, Something like that. Innovate, innovation position. And then the COO took the took the helm, uh, who was Torsten Heinz, who was uh, like an amazing operational guy, but he was like operations. So like, let's cut down on the crazy stuff. And of course, a lot of the M&A were kind of, you know, extracurricular, honestly. Um, so like, I really felt this is not going to be the place. So I pretty much like... Four or five weeks in, I just called him and said, "Like, I, I like, I don't think I like you. Don't need me." And uh, he was like, "Stay on till TAT is completely you know, locked. Like, has delivered all the deliveries, and then after that, you like, you don't have to like, you don't have to be at the office. You can just leave. But you know, just don't denounce anything." Um, so, but that was I was really happy about. It. That was that was really perfect for me.
0: Okay, so you left. What what did you end up doing after that?
1: So. I started angel investing when I was doing M&A, or actually a bit earlier. Um, And I really, really enjoyed helping people and building products and understanding, because I'm so fascinated about behavior. Um, I'm fascinated, like, both how innovation happens, teamwork happens, individual development, but also, like, um, the meeting between the user slash customer and product. And, like, having done a UI company for eight years, I was really fascinated about that. So I wanted to like meet more places where products were being created and work with people to like find the perfect fit. So I started angel investing and did that during BlackBerry times. And I after like when I quit BlackBerry, I really felt that I almost felt that I became like one of those quote unquote armchair investors that almost like had good tips, but it was just two years since I'd been in the field. And honestly, like I would say like five years since I'd been in the field because at the end of the of TAT era, I mean, TAT was 180 people company. And at that era, you're not in panic about raising money. And like, we never raised money even. So like, you know, I just felt that I was becoming one of those opinionated people who actually didn't know stuff maybe. Um, so I really felt I like just have to start another company. Um, and I wrote a list of the things I wanted to learn. And like three things, I really wanted to understand like the modern sales and marketing. Okay. Because... Okay. I really felt like t a t our deal size were like our deals were like five million dollars per per customer per year. I was like and then we usually we usually were paid like three or four million extra for starting the project, so like these are like you know five to ten million dollar things you sign agreements for, and then they last for like they, they give you another five million every year and so on and so forth. so like I knew the name of the dog and the spouse and everything of our customers <laughs> That's um awesome. It was really great, especially if like you're interested in behavior. It was amazing and understanding culture, like understanding Japanese culture and understanding Korean yeah. culture and Taiwanese and American everything was amazing. But I really felt that it's like I saw like Dropbox and Box and uh, like Evernote and, and like all of those companies who do does this sale, which is like you know they sell like super small deals. How can they be built? I was super fat. How can you market to these companies? Can you take the the way? that marketplaces like eBay and, and Etsy and those guys, they how they run marketing with like Google ads and stuff and make that in an enterprise world where the deal size is huge. Can you do something like that? And the second thing I was fascinated about, like uh, distributed teams, um, just the, feels like it's possible now and having like a, another kind of hierarchy and everything. Sure. Um, and then the third thing was like venture capital because since I'd never raised venture capital and, and a lot of my startups like invest in, They were raising venture capital and helped them. So I wrote that list and started just thinking what I could do. Ended up like me and my old tech co-founder at TAT. uh, Met a guy who was one of the first in at ClickView, who was like the big tech blow competitor, so like a data visualization thing. Sat during the whole summer and sketched different things, like met at a cafe like once every week and really felt that there was a need for a company here. Um, Founded that company together. Uh, which ended up being um, a sales and marketing data visualization thing. Um, what happened after three months is that the ClickView guy left because like it didn't fit him all to be a, a startup. And then three months after that, um, my old tech co-founder left. Uh, recruited new founders, raced around, built that company, and uh, like learned everything there is about like how products are being, how people like you know how internet and sales works nowadays. Uh, Uh, like we had LinkedIn and Evernote and Hootsuite and uh, Intercom as customers and and plenty others like small and like really learned how they attract people like customers in and get them to convert and everything learned all the tools but then we couldn't really get uh, like what's in startup land called unit economics like we couldn't we couldn't really get it to work uh, and the money side of things unless we had a professional service component unless we were willing to kind of help people with setting up their CRMs and, sure. and clean data. And I was so sick and tired from that from TAT because when you sell to, you know, whatever, Google, Motorola, Samsung, like you can't sell them a box. Like there will be people around them. And I was really tired of that whole thing of having lots and lots of people on every project. So I and then the VCs were not super keen on it either because it doesn't scale as quick. Right. So I really felt that this is really never going to happen the way we want it to be. And I felt we should probably sell off this technology, which is amazing, um, to somebody, and um, and just do something else. And we actually got an acquisition offer, and uh, and then the acquisition they they turned bad or not turned bad, but like they changed their mind. And nothing strange. Like having run M and A for two years, it's standard that people change their mind went midst process. Sure. But that, again, became a turning point for us. So it became a turning point for us, like, okay, let's not go for a super high fly, sell to one of the most famous tech companies in the world. Let's just close this thing, get the employees to do other important stuff in their own lives. Let's debrief seriously so people learn as much as possible. And then let's just sell, like, the box for a lot less money, but actually just get it out the door and, like, you know, do something about it. So that's what we did this summer. And now I'm free as a bird.
0: Okay. So before we kind of get into you know that i'm I'm curious then um you have like obviously you've been extremely successful you've worked at some of the biggest companies on the on the planet I, i'm kind of curious to know like you know you've had these kind of huge highs and i wouldn't say closing down a company it was necessarily like a low but what did you kind of is there anything that you've learned that you could tell the listener you know that you that kind of you've seen time and time again that you could kind of give advice on whether it's from you know working for these huge companies or kind of you know deciding to wind down a product.
1: I think that uh, I mean I I could I could sadly uh, as my wife would say I could sadly talk for hours about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, but I think that uh, I I mean for me one of the things I learned the most is that um, or there are plenty of things but one thing is uh, people pe- people first. It's okay. like um, everybody everybody are people it's like whether you do sales marketing hiring whatever it's people it doesn't matter if you're selling to Motorola Samsung or like the the boy next door or you're hiring uh you know super senior super stellar woman who wants to join you as a CEO or if you're like hiring a person at university they're 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 people they're really really people it's people buying people selling people's egos people's dreams and if you treat people badly you will the company will not succeed. Um, so I think that, I think that I have this really, I have this extreme strong urge to make sure that like everybody I meet should be happy that they wasted that half an hour or 15 minutes or like, you know, five years, whatever, working with me or meeting me. Cause I really, I really don't want to waste people's time. I hate waste. Um, so like, you know, when, like when Michael video says, you know, we were going to use Adobe, like, you know, I'm going to, we're going to be in. You know, in Waterloo, outside Toronto, for another five hours. Why not just lecture these guys about what they're not, what they don't know? It's like you know, we could have said, okay, let's skip it and gone downtown Toronto, but we were like, no, that's not going to be a value add. You know, come on, let's just tell them how it works. Uh, and like time and time again, like when I. Uh, we put in an ad at my at the recent company I just did saying we want to hire a person for this role and we're just too many guys so we really want a woman uh, to work for this work in this role because the world is just like the tech world is just too many men. Sure. And like you know got so many people like you know pissed off and people wrote us like we're like this is not okay this is like illegal it's like uh discriminating discriminating and la la la. And then this this girl applies and I was like oh yeah great, like good profile, everything interesting. And I replied to her like, could you please do this as a first test? And then she replies like, oh my God, no, that sounds just way too hard. And I just like felt, when I read it, I was like, oh no, that's so irritating." But then just something just clicked in me. And I think that I'm just brutally honest with people. So I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I just clicked reply. And I was like, no, you don't. You don't get it. This is why women have lower salaries. This is why, and it's like long, long, long rant, evil email, where I was like, you don't. You don't say you think this is hard. You know what? Believe in yourself. For God's sake, write an amazing test now and show me that you're way better than everyone else. And I just clicked send. And I was like, she can definitely sue me for that if she wants to. But I'll just, like, if this is her only interaction with me, you know, at least, you know, this is probably the best thing somebody said to her for, for 10 years, because she needs to hear this.
0: Okay, and it takes a
1: day and she replies with the test. Really? Yeah. And I read it and I'm like, this is really good. You know that this is really good. And she was like, is it, is it amazing? And I was like, no, I red marked everything, which is not amazing, but like, I'd love you to come here and work. And she looked at all the things I redlined and she was like, you're, you're pretty hard with people. You know that? Like everything you really lined, like most of what I wrote. And I was like, yeah, let me sit down and explain it. I explained it to her. And then like at the meeting, I explained it to her. She's like, I really want to work for you. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's the right attitude." Because you know, I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to work to make sure that you learn as much as possible. So on the other side, you're going to be the person that everybody wants to hire. Those people are the ones I want to hire. And she was like, "I'm in." I that's like, amazing.
0: Okay. So I think that's
1: like my, one of my main rules: like, people you touch, they should they should be happy they met you.
0: Yeah, no, that I think that's actually really good advice. I'm, I'm curious: is there anything else over the years that you've learned like that?
1: Yeah, another thing I think is, um, I think that um, so one of the most important things also is like just knowing who you are in a sense. Like I think knowing your strengths and weaknesses.
0: Sure.
1: I think that one of the hard, like the hardest people to work with are the people who, quote unquote, whose egos writing checks their body can't cash, Fair. and who don't who don't really know. Like you know, if you have people who believe they're great developers or salespeople, designers, marketeers, whatever. And when you tell them they're not really, they get really angry, uh, because they don't want to hear that. Yeah. And and I think it's so important to kind of be vulnerable and like ask for people to tell you, like, you know, tell me my worst sides, tell me my best sides. Like, tell most actually my worst side. Like, I don't need to hear that I'm nice or whatever. Just tell me, like, tell me what I'm bad at, so that I know that because like those are blind spots for me. Sure. And of course, then if you have really bad self confidence then maybe just telling people like i have really bad self confidence when you tell me i'm bad at something i take it very personally uh, so people are like oh i didn't know that you don't seem like a person who's got bad self confidence like oh but i do or whatever or whatever whoever you are just telling people and being vulnerable just saying you know you know i'm afraid of the dark I'm, like can you can i call you when i'm biking home or whatever like people are like whoa you're a real person um, and i think that 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 honesty about yourself and also about other people is in the end what's going to create like value like life and i think that for me i know i know that i'm i mean i guess the real word is like that i'm a workaholic like i really really enjoy helping people and doing stuff which means that i just tend to just work way too much Mm -hmm. and i don't define this as work i just define it as like doing stuff but the problem is when you get a couple hundred emails and you know whatever it it looks as work for other people but like for me it's it's not but like if you send up End up sitting at like one one a.m. in the morning and doing it, it. It kind of becomes work. Next morning, you feel that it was work. Yeah, so for me, yeah, and and I think for me, I think that the yeah. learning I have done is that I really have to create constraints for myself to make sure that I become like a a, a like um, a well balanced person. Sure. Uh, and I think for me, it's like I cook all the meals for my kids uh, and and for my wife. And like I'm at home at four thirty every day. I cook dinner and I cook like extremely serious dinners. I cook really? like one hour. I spend one hour wow. cooking dinner, and making something really, really serious, and like uh, make sure that like sitting at the table and really like having conversation, enjoying it, putting them to bed, reading them a dumb story, playing a game, whatever. And when they fall asleep, I pick up my computer again. And if my wife says, uh, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, give me fifteen minutes, and then I like really avoiding it. And then when she falls asleep, yeah, I get my computer and I work till I realize I have to fall asleep. Um, and that is like I have a lot of those tricks sure. to try to like just help myself to like to be a person and not be a machine, um, uh, because a lot of times I love the machine parts. Like I love I love telling people if you email me I will respond within twenty four hours, and I do.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: And I think it's it's just about doing it. And like, you know, if people write me long emails, I, I reply, too long, didn't read, write shorter email, I and I will reply to you.
0: Uh, <laughs> really? That's, that's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, because I think that if you write, a lot of people write an email, which is like their life story, and there's yeah. no question. It's, they just write this long, long email trying to explain where they're from and where they're thinking. And you skim through it when you're in the bathroom and you're like, what, what do they want? And you reply, like, to not really what do you want? And they say, I want to meet you. And I reply, about what? And they say, because I want to raise money how much? And they're like, $50 million. For what? To build an a perpetual battery system? I, I reply, I don't think that's a good idea. But I do know somebody who's really interested in battery people. If you want, I can introduce you to him. Because he runs a battery company and wants to hire people. And they're like, that would be awesome. And I do the intro. And then, you know, I help them, and I'm off the hook.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, that that's actually quite quite fascinating to me. So, what are I, I know you, you you're also involved in kind of startup community you mentioned kind of angel investing um, what what is kind of your what do you see kind of in your future for the rest of the year and kind of beyond
1: um, so one of the things I'm really trying now is I'm trying to figure out a way um, so I think that I think that I I know, like, at my strengths, I'm really good at making people enthusiastic and like orchestrate things without it feeling being felt as if it's orchestrated, and like you know, being able to kind of uh, create a community and an atmosphere. When I'm when I'm stressed and at a bad point, I become a perfectionist and I want stuff to become as I want them to be, and I really want to build this community of people and the way I'm trying to do it now is making sure that I'm not spending the time because it won't scale if I'm going to do everything. And I'm not good at absolutely even remotely everything. Like I'm pretty bad at most things. Um, So I think that, so I've hired two people that are doing that and they're just amazing. And what I'm trying to do now is coach them so they can be great. But sometimes of course it feels like pushing a rope. I mean, you feel like this is the way I would like to do it. They're not. So like, what do I do now? Um, And the same thing about angel investment, like trying to create an angel investment community and trying to get, the mentality of like helping first and just the, the problem is that a lot of times uh like you know you gotta lead by example but the problem is that i don't want to be in a situation where if i'm not investing if i'm not attending then people see it as signaling value that something is bad yeah. so like i'm trying to like learn that and of course there are plenty of other people that are angel investing so it's not that big of a problem but like one well, of the things i'm trying to work with a lot is like how do i build a community um and, and and like with me not building it, but like, you know, more like, I guess like in a, I don't want to be patronizing, but like fostering a community. Right. Um, and so I'm doing a couple of different things. I, I bought a pretty big house inside the city, like in, in the center of the city uh, and like, uh, which is just an office hotel, but like to build a physical, really good startup culture there, like, you know, tangible, like selecting who's in, who's out, making events, hired a person who runs it, amazing person, starting this uh, community initiative which is um, like a virtual organization, of course. Uh, like they don't have a house or anything. And trying to get them to do that. Co-started an angel group, which is like a mini th- fun thing with a lot of like really amazing, or like with eight other much more amazing angels than I am. And trying to like create a better way of angel investing. And the thing I'm really trying to find out for myself is, am I best at kind of, spinning plates you just like you know getting a plate to spin and then yeah. going to the next plate thing the next plate but actually not doing it myself or what or will it be that you know in two years i'm gonna feel out of the loop and useless and restless and then just figure out how i get in uh, and i don't really know like i wish i was the person uh, who could just sit and read. I read I read a lot and I read a lot of fiction because I think it's really important because I love understanding how people think. And I wish I could just, my dream is kind of like in a year that I'm gonna sit in this house in a chair and read a really awesome book that I like and talk to super interesting people and feel that I'm helping, but without feeling that like I'm needed, but like I know what you that mean. I'm value adding. And I think that's gonna be um it's gonna be a tightrope uh, to rock, most personally, I mean, figuring out a way where like I don't feel not needed. You know, as a bad thing. Sure, sure. So that's gonna be exciting. I think it's gonna be right, and also like my three kids. My oldest is eight, and my youngest, my youngest are five, and uh, they're twins. And um, my oldest is kind of like what I would call in the Goldilocks zone of board games. Okay. So um, I think bo- so. So to- Goldilocks zone is like how far a planet can be from the sun to have life. Like if it's too close, it's going to be too hot. If it's too far, it's going to be too cold. Go to sun is when it's just right. And my son is in the age where we can now play fun computer games. It's hot, uh, not computer games, board games, sorry. It's hot enough, but like he's eight, so I'm still cool. Uh, So it's not cold (laughs) enough. So we have a couple of like, we have like you know, four years. In four years, he doesn't want to play with me, for God's sake. Um, For a few years, right? for a few years exactly well yeah exactly then i have to buy ski passes for him to meet me again um, <laughs> so i think that um so i really feel that i really like spending and one of the things i love about board games is that board games are very interesting i i personally find them interesting because there are two parts of a board game that i love one is that you have to figure out what's in the head of other people totally uh, which is so fun and the other part of it is that a board game usually is is comprised of three phases there's a setup phase, uh, like you know start playing the game and you like set up the you know you start like whatever you the building is like taking land or whatever it is. or and then you have the mid phase where it's like the rules slightly change because now it's getting a bit too occupied or whatever that kind of game it is. And in the end, it just becomes like you know only five moves left or whatever it is, and then the rules change again. And I love those games where like intellectually, you have to realize, is it now it switches, or is it should I switch my tactic yet? And I really enjoy playing those kind of games with my kids and just seeing how kids attack them with completely wonderful tactics. And like i love I love I love kids, not only my own kids, but I love because kids are so they're so genuine, they're really, really honest, and they love helping other people and and uh, and they really learn like sponges. So I think that for me, it's like they 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 have everything that I love, like you know, learning, helping. Uh, um, and and just like seeing things in a new way, so so I think that that's the thing I'm thinking about. Like, if there's a future where I'm gonna, I don't know, work with with kids or help kids or do something like educational tools for kids or something where I get to see, or it doesn't have to be kids. I just I just love to see people develop and blossom.
0: No, that that's awesome, man. That that's amazing, and I I love. We're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but I I love how you were like genuinely open about, you know, kind of everything. Right. And I love like, I think you kind of mentioned it, like when you show almost like your vulnerabilities or kind of just being honest, kind of the good and bad. And I, I really love that about you. And when we talked a while ago, just kind of in our pre-interview, I love that about you. And, And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, not just because, you know, you've been super successful in the past, and, and, you know, and you will continue to be, but I love the fact that you're just like a genuinely open, honest person, right? And you're not trying to hide or fake things, right? And I think not a lot of people are like that.
1: I think, I think that the reason I am is also because I think that, um, I mean, parts of it is I think that, I think there are a couple of different things. One is like, as the way I grew up, I kind of grew up in the way where like, I'm worthless, but I'm still okay, which is like, I'm a big Brenna Brown fan. I was like, I think the best thing, is like, you know, if you grew up as a, you know, a fourth child, it's like, I'm worthless to everything, but they still apparently like me. And then the other thing is like, I think I I just believe in that I kind of have like creative courage, I guess. It's like, I just believe that I could just try. Like, I don't feel that there's a reason why it wouldn't work. Um, and that of course makes me a lot of times the fool. I'm the person who just says the thing that nobody's allowed to say, because I'm like, why not say this? It's like, you know, everybody, everybody realized this. So like, why not me just saying it? And I think that ends like. And I think that what what happens then is that you end up in all these super interesting places when you do that. And I think that what I what I realized there is that what scares me the most about today in the society we're moving into is um, like people are scared. Yeah. People are scared about their jobs. People are scared about the future. People are scared about just new things. I mean, people are scared about A- AI's and robotics and automation are going to take their jobs and kill them maybe immigrants are evil and terrorists are evil and everybody's out like to get them and you know the religious are evil no the non-religious are evil and it's like my neighbors are evil it's like and the thing i hate about that is like and makes me so sad as i think in that world everybody loses yep um and what scares me so much is like also the world word of the world uh, of of like social media and internet also like fosters trolls and fosters people to brag about themselves and creates envy uh and it's created this culture where like everybody's sad and i think that that's i think is i'm very i'm very like short-term optimistic but like very long-term dystopic. sure i really wish that we could figure out a way as humanity to just be nice but and sadly i think it's gonna be hard but i think that for me one of the turning points was like i grew up in this family where um like, you can never do enough. Like, you just do more, do it better. And, like, nobody, you, you're liked anyway, but, like, you could definitely do better. And I think that it made me the person where it's like when I was a kid, I could have been, sli- I was, like, slightly elitistic. I think my parents are a bit elitistic. I know they're, like, either elitistic. You know, like, better grades or more interesting people or whatever are uh, better. Um, and I think when, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. Sure. And uh, I have a lot of grit, so... I got some fever, inflammation. I didn't care. I was like, just leave me alone. And then after like two weeks, it got really bad. And I had like uh, way over 100 degrees. Uh, yeah, wow. I mean, I was like, I was like really, really bad. Somebody rushed me to the hospital. I've been in bed for like three days, sitting like, leave me alone. And then in the hospital, uh, they just like found that I had this massive inflammation. They did surgery on me. Um, and what happened after like post surgery is that all of the doctors, like a lot of the doctors and surgeons, wanted to talk to me. And specialists because they were fascinated that I was able to like just stay with that. Like how why didn't I rush to the hospital? Like what happened? And how are we doing not the inflammation getting more? And they have all of these like intellectual questions. And then a nurse came in and she said, Doctors, you gotta leave Hampus alone. Nobody else had called me Hampus. Everyone else like, you know, you and like patient and whatever. And then she came, you don't leave Hampus alone. And like she walked up to me and was like, How do you feel? And I was like, I feel kind of like I've been hit by a bus, honestly. Like, I feel really weird in my whole body. And she was like, I think you need some painkillers and some rest, honestly. And she turned to the doctors and was like, I think you need to leave. And they were like, no, I really want to talk. And don't give him painkillers yet. Cause like, we really talk with him when he's like, you know, clear mind. And she was like, I'm sorry. Like, you got to leave. I mean, he's he's just been, in, he's in, he's in, I mean, he's in post operation. He should let it, allow him to wake up. And I looked at her and realized she's one of those that like, She's not well-paid. She's not got an education. She's constantly spat upon. She works really, really hard. These doctors are like the elite of the society and they're assholes.
0: Yep, fair. Yeah, and that
1: interesting. Just completely changed my mind. I realized like the elite are not the people who are smart. It's the people who are nice. Yeah, interesting. And we don't cherish niceness at all.
0: You're right. You're totally right.
1: And I think that mm-hmm. also changed me as a person. I think it just fundamentally made me feel I'm not going to be the kid who obfuscates how I talk to sound smart, which, you know, I did in high school. Okay. But I realized I'm going to be the kid that just speaks completely normal. And if somebody says something complicated, I'm going to say, so what do you mean by abstruse? Or like, you know, I'm just going to, like, I might know, but like maybe not everybody
0: knows. Sure.
1: Or like when somebody says, I think we're living in a simulation, I'm going to say like, oh, can you make that a, like a practical thing? Like, you know, how does that apply to normal life? You know, I love the conversation, but like, you know, Let's make sure that I, I wouldn't say this out loud, but like just make sure that everybody joins the conversation. It's not like a between the people who pretend they're smart, and and that makes me a lot of times like a very uncomfortable person for a lot of people because mm-hmm. they, they were like, "Whoa, he called the bluff," and I was like, "No, I'm not calling the bluff. I I just want to have a real conversation. Yeah, Life you is to just include
0: everybody, right?
1: Yeah, and yeah. also myself, honestly. I was like, "What do you mean? I like I'd love to have a real conversation, not you just quoting articles you read."
0: Sure. No, that makes. That makes a lot of sense. That That's awesome, man. But we're out of time. So maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can find you online and any other kind of social media or projects that you want to mention.
1: Yeah. So I blog and I blog uh, mostly about uh, like team building and startups and uh, and people, but also about a bit about like curiosity and, and learning at H- se, and then .se as in Sweden. And then I have that as a Twitter handle too, H-A-J-A-K as my Twitter. Um, those are the two best places to find me. Um, on LinkedIn, it's like, don't connect with me on LinkedIn. Don't write to me on LinkedIn. I just think it's like, it's just like, I, you don't need to be friends with everybody. You can just like tweet me or like email me. My email address is everywhere, like on my LinkedIn profile. I, I will reply to you. So it's like, um I think that just people can reach out to me, H-A-J-A-K dot S-E and the same thing on Twitter or just email me and I'd love to talk to them.
0: Perfect, Hampus. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, schedule to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and you know, hopefully we can do this again sometime.
1: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kevin.
0: All right, perfect, man. Thanks. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.